The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I am once again joined by my co-host John Garcia, who is fresh off of a pretty relaxed signing day compared to years past but not exactly a a a sleepwalk john how you doing i'm doing well matt yeah certainly not what we got in december no uh number one recruits flipping on signing day kind of deal but still plenty busy nonetheless and uh ready to look back there and, and turn the page here pretty soon yeah, we were we were kind of expecting some crazy stuff to happen with uh, with Harold Perkins there for a little while, but it ended up going about how we expected in the end, which is, you know, which is probably good for our sanity. Uh, I don't know if we could have handled another Travis Hunter situation, no matter where Perkins ended up, but <laughs> it would have been fun. Um, so now that we're sort of past the 2022 class, and I know that you're just getting past all that stuff and you're about to start gearing up for 2023. Um, there's really one big name on everyone's mind heading into 2023. Uh, and that's of course, Arch Manning, who um, might be the most valuable high school recruit ever um, in terms of what he'll bring to a program exposure wise and the NIL money that's going to be involved at involved there and all this stuff with, you know, the momentum it's going to give the class and kids coming to play with them and all those kinds of things. Um, and obviously this is a Texas Longhorns podcast. So we, we got to start with Arch in Texas. Um, Texas is going all in on this kid. I don't think that's really a secret to anyone. Um, they just got Quinn Ewers to transfer this past cycle. They have Malik Murphy coming in, but they still are making Arch their top priority. Uh, and for pretty good reason, um, I know that we don't have our quarterback rankings out yet, but, and we've talked a little bit about Arch before, but John, tell us why Arch is special and why Texas is making this such a priority. 
Well, his last name's Manning, so that's certainly where the notoriety starts. Uh, that's that's the first family of football, maybe ever, but certainly the first family of quarterbacking. And when you're the next Manning quarterback, no matter when it is, uh, now 50, 100 years from now, as they keep rolling out, in, in theory, you're going to get a lot of notoriety. But, of course, you got to back it up. And Arch has done that at uh, Isidore Newman, the same high school, of course, that uh, his father, Cooper, and his uncles, Peyton and Eli, starred at in the 90s, uh, early 2000s there for Eli. Look, he started as a freshman, something that not not both of his uncles did at quarterback. He outthrew them early in his varsity career, again, uh, outpacing his uncles at that position, at that school. But in the last year, he's hit this growth spurt. And he's become this mature quarterback physically. I spoke to his trainer this week, his speed trainer, believe it or not. And he told me he's up to 6'4", maybe pushing 6'5", right now. So he's also physically starting to look and feel much more like a Manning, even though he's still a junior in high school. So he's hit this growth spurt in between all of the Arch Madness, uh, Arch Manning madness and hoopla. Uh, Arch Madness should certainly be um, um, trademarked if they haven't already. I'm going to start tweeting that as soon as we get off this podcast. Arch Madness starts very soon. Anyway, (laughs) he just shot up and started to physically look and feel more like what you would expect if you said, hey, there's there's another Manning quarterback about to enter college in the next 11 months. And now he's his muscles are catching up. So his intellect has always been there. The maturity has always been there. He's always handled himself in a very professional Manning like way, but now the physical gifts are starting to catch up to that curve that he was so privileged to, to be a part of early in in his life as a, as a young Manning. So now the trigger is faster. The arm strength is stronger. He can push it further down the field. He can get it to the third level with, with less force with less effort I should say and then you throw in the athleticism onto there too and and now he's becoming this modern version of the Manning quarterbacks which is something that we never talked about with Peyton and, and Eli so he's become he was already known he was already coveted he had the foundation but in the last year it's all been accelerated with this physical growth and this maturity that is all sort of apexing to exactly what you would expect, uh, you know, a, a tracked recruitment like no other, a, a quarterback recruit who uh, will have the attention of any college coach on any moment's notice. He is that big of a recruit. And yes, the name is where it starts, but Arch has done it a lot more on his own of late. Um, and, and now he's a three-year varsity starter who's getting ready to uh, wrap up you know, his high school basketball career and enter a tenacious phase of, of uh, fame, really. He's already famous uh, as a high school recruit, which is not something we typically say. Uh, and he's uncommitted on top of it. So that will only add to all of the conversation around Arch, where he might go, et cetera. Yeah, th- this is going to be a recruitment unlike anything we've ever seen for sure. Um, I don't know that there's a better family to help guide him through that than the Mannings because they are so used to the notoriety and the, and the hoopla and, and all the, all that stuff. So 
he's lucky in that regard. If this was any other kid, he probably wouldn't be carrying the same weight if it was any other kid, but you know what I mean? He's, he's got the right family for it. He's got the right head for it. Like we talked about. So that's good for him. And in Texas, you know, they have had a quarterback issue for the most part over the last since, you know, since Colt McCoy left, they had a good run when, you know, it went from Vince Young to Colt McCoy. That was, you know, seven years of six or seven years of, elite All-American Heisman caliber quarterback play. And since then, they've had middling success. Sam Ellinger was the exception, but they've had a bunch of other guys come in and out of there. Shane Bouchelle, David Ash, uh, Tyrone Swoops was in there somewhere. Um, you know, now that Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, they're still trying to find that guy now to replace Ellinger and sort of elevate to the next level beyond that. And Quinn Ewers might be that guy, but he's only going to be here for a year or two if he's that guy. Um, I, I expect he would declare after the 2023 season if he if he does bring that, which leaves the door wide open for Arch to come in as a second-year guy and, and take the reins for another two or three years. So um, that's why Texas is still so, so in on him is because you, you can never stop recruiting quarterbacks. Um, once you get complacent at quarterback, you're going to set your program back four or five years. So they are all in. It's, it's not a secret. And one of the things that recently came out that backs up that they are 100% all in on Arch is the report that former Duke head coach and Manning whisperer David Cutcliffe is likely to join the Texas Longhorn staff very soon as sort of a Gary Patterson-type role on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they just hired Gary Patterson to be a defensive analyst, special assistant to the head coach. I imagine it would be the same sort of off-field role for Cutcliffe. And that – Texas is already pretty high up high up there in the arch race, I think. Uh, he already likes A.J. Milwee. He already likes Sark. He likes the offense. He wants to see them build. But if you land Cutcliffe, that – sort of gives you a step ahead of everybody else in terms of, of things that could tempt Arch in your direction. John, what could that mean if Texas does land David Cutcliffe on this staff? I think for some of our younger listeners, they may not realize the connections between the families, uh, Cutcliffe and, and Manning. Let's just put it this way. Um, David Cutcliffe, probably met Arch before Arch could speak. I'm not even going to say probably. I almost guarantee it that he met Arch as a baby. <laughs> that is how close the Manning family is uh, to David Cutcliffe, who, yes, was Peyton Manning's OC at Tennessee, and yes, of course, was Eli Manning's uh, coach there at Ole Miss. So, look, the, the connections don't really end there. Uh, the bond was so big that both Mannings, particularly Peyton, I would say, really uh, latched on uh, to Coach Cut, as they call him. And every single offseason, the gear up for NFL training camp was first a gear up at Duke, where Cutcliffe was the head coach until uh, December, I guess. And they did their own sort of Manning-Cutcliffe camp, uh, a pre-training camp training camp if you will. And this wasn't just, this isn't just a coach 
player kind of deal. This is this is very much viewed as a family kind of deal, as in practical jokes, uh, riling up each other, wrestling around, everyone involved in every part of everyone's life kind of family deal. Um, it, it is it is not to be undersold um, the the connection between the family, uh, Manning and Cutcliffe. I actually lived in Durham for a few years. Uh, my partner worked in the athletic department, including football. And when the Mannings were in Durham, it was a thing. It was a camp. It was like a, a you can't really come here, but if you can get the right spot and, and watch them work out, you could kind of deal. Um, and it was expected. Everybody knew, everybody in the area knew when the Mannings were there, these provisions were in place. It was almost like a, a pilgrimage of sorts to, to spend that time before the respective NFL teams and Duke itself got back to, to training camp. So no matter how you look at it, this is a massive, massive mentor and connection uh, between each party. So naturally, you bring in that guy, <laughs> it's going to give one team, you know, quite the advantage. Now, is it a it is a is it a game changer to the point where this race is over and they're going to commit to Texas tomorrow? No, probably not. But here's my thing: if Arch called up Cooper, who's his dad, by the way, and said, "Hey, Dad, I'm ready to commit to Texas right now." Coach Cut is, you know, an unofficial Godfather type of of mine, and I'm ready to jump in. Do you think? Cooper and the crew would allow Arch to commit? And I think that answer is no. I think they, no matter what, take visits in the spring and the summertime and allow these coaching staffs to adjust to, to their, new, their new look. That includes Sark at Texas. That includes Kirby Smart of Georgia, fresh off of a national title. Nick Saban is not going to just uh, step aside either uh so this race to me is still quite far from over but again you cannot oversell how big it is for texas to get david cutcliffe on staff if and when this happens this is the most clear sign that texas is going all in on arch manning as if we needed more of a sign this is the most tangible clear one headed in that direction. Like I said, this is a, this was a pilgrimage for those brothers uh, before every single season. Um, and, and if and when that were to continue, uh, that would theoretically happen in Austin, Texas now. So it is quite interesting to look at, and there is no doubt that this should serve as a reminder that Texas is going to be in the thick of this race. I think Texas and Ole Miss now are in position to stay through the duration. I think they stay involved until everything is finalized, no matter what. Clemson has may or may not have gone by the wayside. LSU, same thing. Coaching change. We'll see how the new staff approaches Arch. You certainly have to try to recruit the number one kid in your home state. But I think Texas and I think Ole Miss stick in this race. And this is going to be one of the reasons why UT stays in it all the way to the end. Again, you, you cannot overstate how big this is yeah and i think that if you sort of look at the history of the mannings outside of the whole pilgrimage thing that you talked about which i didn't know it was that sort of a deal at duke and that's really cool i i, I was not aware of that but 
if you look at the history of the Mannings, Peyton Manning, for his entire high school recruitment, was expected to go to Ole Miss and more or less shocked the world by picking like a Manning pick something other than Ole Miss. What are we doing? Like it, it was, it sent shockwaves through Oxford at least. And why did he do it? Because he wanted to go. Part of the reason was because he wanted to go play with cut. Um, and then cut came to Oxford, not only got Eli back, you know, got his Manning back in Oxford, but he also got Cooper there who was a wide receiver and were it not for his, his uh, neck, neck issue. He, you know, legend is he would have been the best Manning. Uh, I'm not sure if I, if I buy that or not, but he, he was a talented wide receiver and he was going to, you know, Eli was going to play with him. Um, so, I mean, the, the respect level is obviously there. Uh, he knows how to coach the Mannings. He, he led Peyton to a stellar career Heisman trophy finalist. Uh, you know, just an amazing, amazing program at Tennessee during that time. Uh, at Ole Miss, he led them to what was at the time unprecedented success. Uh, another Heisman Trophy finalist in in, in Eli, and um, a share of a West Division title that was a center stepping on his foot away from getting to Atlanta for the first time in program history. Um, so. If Arch is looking for success and some tutelage, having cut on staff would would certainly not hurt. Um, and then the other thing is, outside of that whole family connection, Cut is a very very smart offensive mind. He, the reason I mentioned Gary Patterson a few minutes ago is because Gary Patterson is one of the most well respected defensive minds in college football. And Sark is bringing him in to help stabilize things. And now Sark is supposedly, I don't want to say putting his ego aside because he's not a very egotistical guy whatsoever, but he knows he's a smart offensive guy. He knows that he knows how to call offense and he's a quarterback guy and all these things, but he's still willing to bring in this guy to help guide the offense and, and, and be the experienced voice in the room that they that they might need aside from Arch. Even if they were out of the Arch race, it wouldn't be hard to imagine wanting to bring some guy like this in when your offense was pretty inconsistent last year for the most part. So I guess my next question to you is, can you help explain what makes cut such a smart football guy and the things that he could help the Texas program with outside of the arch Manning madness, or excuse me, the arch madness. There we go. I was waiting for it. <laughs> uh, look, cut is, is like you said, I mean, he is a, a super sharp offensive mind. He has been for quite some time and he's adapted and adjusted, you know, obviously Duke, Duke ceiling is what it is, right? Um, this is a program that um, has the academic standards that, that really slow down what it can do athletically. Same thing as Vanderbilt in the SEC, uh, Stanford in the Pac-12, so on and so forth. Um, so don't let some of those negative uh, perceptions on that program sway your judgment uh, for, for Coach Cut. I mean, he is a cerebral coach, but he's a player's coach. I mean, he is, he is a guy who has adapted 
as well as any older, quote-unquote, older coach uh, in, in the modern game. Uh, any time he could have hung it up uh, in the last few years. You know, he's in his 70s, I believe. I mean, he could have backed away and, and been graceful about it, but, but the man loves ball. I mean, he just loves uh, that college level of maturity physically and, and the need to grow up mentally. Um, it sounds cliche, but it, it doesn't really get talked about as, as much nowadays, Matt, is like these guys like helping shape the lives of, of young men through football. And again, to go back on the impact that, that Cut has had, you know, look at the Mannings, look at so many players that he's coached that are always kind of back on campus, right? They want to go sit down with, with Coach Cut. So he has found this unique ability to blend in between ball coach, offensive innovator, adapter, and people person. So he's he's been in every league and around every league on top of that. So his experience, similar to Gary Patterson, uh, is really respected. I think co- coast to coast, uh, generation, his generation on down, I really respect what he's done uh, in the game, in the game of football. And, and I think you look back at some of those Tennessee teams and certainly the old Miss teams, you talk about elevating guys. This is all he's done. I mean, that's all he has done. He has never, he hasn't been at, at you know, at, at an Alabama as, as an offensive coordinator or head coach, you know, he hasn't been at a Georgia or Texas, a Ohio state, a USC. He has, Really never been at a brand name, Tennessee fans. I know, I know, but I, I don't consider them brand name right now. He hasn't been at that brand name school, and he has often brought up the expectation wherever he's been, especially on offense. So I think there's a lot to be said uh, for those things. Um, and, and he's a realist on top of it. You know, there's not a lot of people who, who you've met uh, or who you hear about, I should say, who have that kind of universally popular um, reputation. And he does uh, with his fellow coaches, with certainly his players, uh, and even the opposing coaches that, that he's gone up against. There's not a, a, a higher reputation guy to bring in than, than a guy like that. Um, you kind of think of the Mac Browns of the world. Uh, you, you think of some of these coaches that have been around forever that are just kind of liked, and he is one of them. You know, he, he doesn't have a polarizing past. He doesn't have any, as far as I know, any scandal or anything around him like that. Um, and and to, to get through however many years it's been at that level uh, says quite a lot. So independent of the connection, as you mentioned, Matt, um, this would still be a big deal for Texas football. And look, I, I think this is also an indication of Steve Sarkeesian. On both sides of the ball now, he has said, I, I am the head coach. It, it starts and ends with me, but I can take a step back and gather as much information as possible. Let me bring in two guys who have been there and done that at different levels and have elevated programs that otherwise didn't have so much notoriety. Let me absorb some of that uh, in the meantime. Uh, he's coached against both Cutcliffe and Patterson. Uh, so he understands that mutual respect as well. So I think this is also a sign of maturity from Steve Sarkeesian, the CEO, the boss, the the you know, project manager, if you will, uh, of Texas football, because it is it is about that end game. And there is no position 
that has been more polarizing at that school than quarterback. You, you mentioned it at the top of the show. I mean, the run of, of young to McCoy was about as good as it gets. And since then it's been kind of a, a crapshoot for lack of a better phrase. So bringing in more offensive minds and quarterback type minds is a good thing, but it's not something ego wise that you see all over the country, especially with coaches who are known as quarterback slash offensive guys like Sark is known for. So I do think it's a, it's a bit of a feather in the cap for him as well. Um, yeah. And look, there's, there's not much more we can, we can say about cut that we haven't already said. Um, he is, whether or not he was, um, you know, connected with the Mannings, he would be a coveted assistant to have on the staff. Um, and, Texas needs that kind of stability. They need, they need leadership. They need, um, they need all of those things. And he, and he could help provide that help guide these younger coaches, help them adapt offensively. Like you said. So that's, that's one thing that regardless of what happens with, with, with Arch, um, he would be a welcome addition to any program, especially at Texas where they've had some stability problems in the past and they're trying to sort of take the next step or turn the corner, so to speak. But before we head out of here, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, and I didn't mention this to you before the podcast because I totally forgot about it. And then I was sitting here um, looking through something. I was like, oh, my God, this is the perfect thing to end the podcast on. So we talked about Quinn Ewers a little bit. Um, and whether or not Arch comes to, de- uh, comes to Texas – over the next two years, they will have Quinn Ewers, who is, by all accounts, one of the most talented and highest-rated quarterbacks to come through the recruiting process in quite some time. Um, he's right up there with, you know, some of the other names we've had in the past, like, you know, all the way back to Matthew Stafford or Bryce Young or Tua. He, he's, he's got special arm talent, and it's very hard to find arm talent that special. So naturally, when you pair him with a guy like Sark, potentially Cutcliffe, anything like that, and especially when you're at a university like Texas where the microscope is so large no matter what you're doing, expectations are going to start to flood in almost immediately. Um, From the second that he committed, the assumption was he would come in and be the starter right away. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case, but he still has to win the job. It's not just going to be his job that he's going to walk into. So, and I think he knows that. And from, from by all accounts, he's been, um, he's been handling that very well. And and the players are really starting to um, sort of flock to him in a way. But with all that being said, the expectations can still get out of hand. Right. So recently we, a Fox Sports analyst, I'm not going to name him. If you read my site, you know who he is. Dropped the top five Heisman sleepers for next season. Number one was Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. Number two, Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota. Number three, KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. Number four, Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. And then number five was Quinn Ewers, who has never thrown a college pass. And he's showing up on a Heisman sleeper list. Does this make any sense to you? Hell yeah, it makes sense. 
<laughs> this is this is the game we play. First of all, it's the offseason, right? You need some content. But but for real, like Bryce Young last year, yes, he threw a few passes, but it was certainly nothing close to, to what he needed to do. There was an expectation and an understanding that this kid was going to throw for a crap ton of yards and a crap ton of touchdowns at Alabama. Now, I don't know where he was on the offseason Heisman list, but I bet he was in the top 10 or 15. Um, now, even somebody like me who, who studied Bryce and, and has sat down with him many times before he got to college, even somebody like me understands that you still have to transition. Um, but the talent is the talent. And quarterbacks now are more built to play day one than they've ever been. All of these college coaches have, have changed the game in terms of speed and control at that quarterback position so much that it's filtered both up to the NFL. I mean, just look at the Super Bowl. It's, it's I mean, Joe Burrow, you're talking about ready to go. Joe Burrow against Matthew, the evolved Matthew Stafford, both playing in offenses that are very empowering to the quarterback. Joe Burrow is completing 70% of his passes, and Matt Stafford is finally playing with a true balanced team, and he's allowing that, that talent to show. Um, but he's still most known for pushing the ball down the field like he did to clinch the NFC uh, title game um, a couple Sundays ago. But it's also filtered down. Yeah, my goodness. Uh, just getting hit in the face at the same time. Just, just totally the iconic play if, if they finish the job. But it's filtered up to the NFL, but it's also filtered down to high schools. And, and many will tell you it came from high school. So these, these offenses are structured to go. And the quarterback is, is that trigger man. And Quinn Ewers had that experience at South Lake Carroll as a multi-year starter and then got a free internship, not a free one. He got paid a plenty, apparently, to go intern for Ryan Day in, in that Ohio State quarterback room. And now he's coming back to Texas with the full expectation of not only winning the job, but finally being that next uh, torchbearer at quarterback. So if you look at the talent and you look at the situation, it's not crazy to have him on that list. I think if you bro, if you if you tried to project the top 10 to 15 quarterbacks in college football, there would be multiple quarterbacks that are either at a new place or and or have minimal experience that would be high on the list. Don't you think Caleb Williams would be high on there? Quinn Ewers, Jackson Dart. I mean, you can go all over the country and, and find quarterbacks that don't have the most experience or, or age on their side, yet here they are uh, with all the expectations in the world. You know, the game has, has changed in that regard. And with Texas and the pass catchers he's going to have around him, uh, with, with Xavier Worthy coming back, the other guys coming back, bringing in Charles Billingsley, this group is going to, to have high expectations. In the, I mean, hello, B. John Robinson's coming back. This offense is going to continue to have very high expectations. And Quinn Ewers needs to handle his part of it but it's not crazy to see him on there that right arm is Matt Stafford like but he's a, probably a little bit better uh, of an athlete and now he comes to Texas with that extended knowledge of Ohio State system that has worked about as well as anybody's system at that position over the last decade so it is not crazy to expect that um, and, and I think Quinn Ewers will start to create even more of that hype as you get through the spring and you get into preseason camp, I was actually surprised he's considered a dark horse. 
why not get them on the uh, whatever the opposite of a dark horse is side? I don't know where that phrase comes from, but let's get him on the light horse side where he is expected <laughs> to to win games and he's expected to perform in the spotlight because the talent is is as good as we've seen over the last four or five recruiting cycles. Um, and and again, that's not getting into what he got to experience at, at Ohio State and the first time that he hasn't just been handed the keys to the car. You know, yes, he's got a couple extra dollars in his pocket, but how does how does that motivate him in the move back to Texas? He knows the pressure. He knows what he's stepping into. He's from there. He knows exactly what the expectation is. So I just think it all lines up and uh, to be this this kind of Cinderella story of of coming back home and and doing what you set out to do anyway. So I'm surprised there are 10 players with more Heisman buzz today than Quinn Ewers. Well, that's you make a good point, I, I suppose. <laughs> it's 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 hard to imagine a lot of players who have a better shot at it than him at the quarterback spot with you know, Corral's gone from Ole Miss. Um, you know, all these other guys are heading to the NFL. The the Pittsburgh kid, Caleb Williams is moving around. Bryce Young's back, but I mean, he is held talented. So, I suppose we can't we can't doubt that too much. And if we're being honest, the Big Twelve is going to be pretty wide open next year. Oklahoma just was absolutely decimated by the exit of Lincoln Riley transfer portal all over the place. Um, and if anybody that's considered a quote unquote dark horse on that list has better weapons around him than Quinn Ewers is going to have with, you know, Bijan and Xavier worthy and Billingsley coming in at tight end and Nayor coming in at the other wide receiver and Jordan Winnington being healthy Jatavion Sanders might, you know, get involved there on the offense a little bit and, sh- and show off his gifts. Um, and then he's got some, you know, some pretty talented freshman offensive linemen coming in alongside him, a couple of whom could potentially make some early debuts there in Austin. So um, I guess when you take a step back and look at it analytically like that, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit easier to see, but <laughs> when I saw, when I saw it, I guess it just kind of, kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, before can, we get can out you of read those names again, sorry, sorry. Can you read the names again? Because, because the, the detraction is going to be, okay, well, Texas has to win, but can you, can you name some of those? Cause KJ Jefferson plays at Arkansas in the hardest division in college football. Good luck to his winning percentage. Uh, Mohammed Ibrahim uh, is coming off of a horrible injury and plays the running back position in the big 10 again, where Minnesota will not be expected to make a huge run can you name some of the others on the list because if you're going to combat my argument with winning not that you are but if the listener is theoretically combating my argument with winning i want to hear some of those other names because i don't see a whole lot of winning on any of those teams hendon hooker at tennessee is probably the one who's best set up to win and that's not really saying much because i don't have any faith in what tennessee does ever and then (laughs) over under seven and a half for tennessee i'll I'll go i'll play that game but again heisman winner you got to get usually you got to get to to eight or nine wins. So if you're playing that game, this whole list is void. Yeah, and then and then Deuce Vaughn at, at Kansas State, the running back. I mean, I, I don't see anybody. I don't have to explain State. that. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to explain that one. If, yeah. if Deuce Vaughn is in New York, I will uh, I will sponsor this podcast with a portion of my patron. I will record that and just keep it to my keep it to the side just in case. But 
my last question for you in, in, you know, one minute or less, we mentioned the offensive linemen. How many of those guys that they signed out of the seven have a chance to play immediately and potentially start? That's a great question. I think, you know, assimilation to college is a big deal for every position. Um, but there's certain spots on the offensive line where you can mask uh, a little bit of immaturity, particularly at, at the guard spots. I think at right or left guard in a Kyle Flood uh, system, you can mask some uh, lack of maturity. So I think Devin Campbell, the number one offensive lineman in the country, is where I will, will start that conversation because he is built to play that move guard spot in Texas's scheme, get out on screens in front of BJ or Bajon Robinson, get to the second level on some of those zone reads. Uh, and he's very much built uh, with leverage in mind uh, to pass protect. Uh, so I, I do think that if there is a path to playing time at guard, I think Devin Campbell could be ready to jump into there into that spot early just because of the position and the lack of demand mentally compared to center and tackle along the offensive front. But with this historic offensive line class, there are multiple guys that are going to have a chance at, at making a run at playing time in some capacity, but we usually see that at guard first. And if that's the scenario, give me Devin Campbell. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, Kelvin Banks might have a shot at, at playing sort of a swing tackle type role. Uh, I don't think he'll start from day one, but he, I think he's going to get some significant playing time in a reserve role there, especially early on um, because the depth of tackle is just not good for Texas right now. Um, unless they bring someone into the transfer portal, I don't see any way that Kelvin Banks doesn't get on the field, at least, you know, to some degree next season. And um, they're going to want to get him on the field and groom him to be their, you know, number one left tackle guy from at their earliest convenience, I guess. So um, that's, that's another one I would look out for, but John, that's going to do it um, for another episode of the Longhorns country podcast. We are going to try to make these a more uh, regular thing. It's been, it's been hard with all the signing day craziness that's been going on, but we're going to, we're, we're committing ourselves to getting back to it. So we're going to try and be back next week, probably on Wednesday um, so just be on the lookout for that. Um, head to longhornscountry.com for all your latest news and, and, and notes on the Longhorns. And, John, tell them where they can find you. As usual, si.com or at si all American on all social media. And you can find me bugging Matt on the Texas side every now and then, too. All right. And uh, we will see you next week. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. 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 Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.